All right. Well, we are going to dive in. If you have Bibles, please turn to uh, Matthew 18. We're going to be continuing our sermon series in the kingdom of God this morning. Verses 1 through 5. This is on page uh, 974 in your Bibles. This is a word of the Lord. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them, and he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. Jesus, uh, we we thank you for your word. Lord, I I pray this morning, um, just praying before the service, Lord, I I ask that we continue... that we, we, we don't just hear from or you know hear words from the Bible this morning or hear somebody talk. Lord, give us an encounter with you this morning through your word. Like Holy Spirit, we ask that you would you would confront us and, and challenge us and, and open up our hearts to uh, Lord to, to, to yes, like have an, an actual encounter with you this morning. Lord, we ask for continued transformation as we just heard, even this morning, Lord, as we just hear this this amazing story from the Gospels. We love you, Jesus. We invite you to do a grand work in our hearts. Continue to do that work in our hearts this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. So the disciples wanted to know who was the greatest in the kingdom. Every culture, every society has their way of defining who is the greatest. The disciples, this is 2,000 years ago, Roman Empire. This was a honor and shame culture. Those of you who um, it may have come from more eastern regions of our world. May some of those uh, uh, cultures still exist today where, where, where honor, where shame is, uh, are, are majors in terms of value, in terms of if somebody said, who is the greatest? How do you become great? It falls in that status. Um, in the Roman Empire, it was also positional, family nobility, right? It was kind of who you know. Uh, are you buddied up with somebody really important? And do they, have they given you a title where, well, you're, you're great, right? You have status. And so they were following Jesus. He, they were looking forward to the day when he was going to set up shop in Jerusalem as king. And they were his right-hand men. So they were like, this is great. Like, we're set up to be great. So Jesus, in this new kingdom that you're setting up, who is the greatest? Like, how, do you, how are you great in that kingdom? Um, as we said, every nation has their myth of greatness. When I say myth, I mean that story that maybe for very few is reality, but for the rest of us, it is caught up more in our, in our imagination than reality. And we have that in America, in our own country. And I was trying to figure out a good way to kind of describe this American myth of greatness, right, that we, we kind of can get caught up in in our imagination. And I think the best way to talk about it is to go to the great theologian and philosopher Rocky Balboa from the first one, not the 10th or 11th movie, but the first one from 1977. There's a scene, all right, and he's about to go, when I loved the Rocky movies when I was a kid, so bear with me. When I, he's about to go fight Apollo Creed, if you've seen the movie, you probably have. 
and uh, he's kind of laying down, right? And he, he's talking to uh, Adrian about this big fight coming up, all right? And you can see he's despondent, he's kind of nervous, but this is what he says, and it's actually profound, okay? He said this, I don't care about winning. I just want to go the distance with Creed. That when the bells ring and I'm still standing, then for the first time in my life, I'll know that I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. He was having an existential crisis. He didn't have value for himself, right? By all cultural tests, if you watch the movie, he was a bum from the neighborhood. But to himself, he said, I can prove to myself that I am great, that I have value if I can do what no one else had done in this story, which is survive all 15 rounds fighting the champion of the world. If I can do that, then I'll know that I'm something. Then I'll know that I'm great. This speaks to this achievement culture that we live in. It's part of the American story. There's a nobody in this instance. There was Rocky, right, who became somebody great, who came from nothing and went to something, right? We love those stories. They fill up our movies and our imaginations constantly. Somebody who was an absolute nobody does this great and wonderful thing, and they become somebody, right? This has been kind of the American story from the earliest of days, right? when we, our revolution from the British monarchy, we're like, you peasants in Europe, you couldn't be anything then, come to America, you can be anything here, you can come from rags to riches, that kind of thing. But like Rocky in that movie, this American myth has put many of us in existential crises. That is why, at least in that first movie, it, that Rocky movie, it's such a human movie because we can kind of, we can kind of identify with the struggles that he is talking about, right? But again, within this American myth of achievements, if he gains the achievement of going the distance with a champion, then he'll find his greatness. We're all struggling with self-worth, with wanting to feel like our life is important. We want to feel like our life matters. It's innate within us. And this was the case with these disciples. They had an opportunity to be the right-hand guy of Jesus, and they wanted to also ensure that their life would matter, that they would be great. And they said, Jesus, tell us. We want our life to matter. We're next to you. What does it mean to be great in your kingdom? What ladder do we have to climb, right, to be great in your eyes, Jesus, within your kingdom? So if we talk about the kingdom of God, we identified in America this myth of the, from being a nobody to being a somebody, okay? Is there that kind of nobody to somebody story or myth in heaven, right? That is basically the question for his disciples. They wanted to know how they could be the next, you know, Rocky Balboa, but the heaven version, if you're tracking with what I mean by that, right? So here's an area that if we don't pause... Okay, and consider slowly, or actually, we'll see, listen to Jesus, okay? If we approach this question and go to the scriptures, what I've seen often happen, especially within the church, it can happen this way, is that we want to kind of baptize the American story of nothing, nobody to somebody, kind of rags the riches story, baptize it, okay, as if that story is actually the heavenly one, as if that story is the one that is up there in the heavens that God wants to bring to earth and says that, that's what it means to be great, is becoming somebody and doing something great, right? Uh, it's often here is kind of phrase like, do big things for God, as if, you know, doing that 
big thing, whatever it might be, then you'll find value and worth. Then you'll be able to achieve something grand and wonderful. But it's kind of just baptizing what's out there in the world, but then putting a Jesus bumper sticker on it. But if Jesus were an American, if that was true, we would expect him to respond to the disciples' question like this, something like this, okay? If that nothing, nobody to somebody's story is, was true, this is what he would probably would have said. Let me tell you the story, disciples, about a, a guy named David. He's in the Old Testament, right? Who was a teenager, he put a single stone in a sling, you know, and defeated this great military champion, this giant of a man, professional warrior. And this little wee little teenager got a rock and hit him in the head and killed him. And he, you know, this, this unlikely person conquered a giant. So go be like David and go find your stone and conquer your giant, right? That's what you may expect Jesus to say. Or be like Gideon, another story in the Old Testament, who only had a little tiny army of 300 soldiers, but with great faith and great courage, he conquered a huge army of thousands of people. So have great faith and be like Gideon. Do something big for God. Be like Esther, right, who risked her life walking into the king's chamber to save her people. Have the faith and do something big like Esther, that kind of, I've heard so many sermons like that. Here are the biblical heroes, and go and be great like those heroes. It's kind of a nobody to somebody story, right? Now, we're told to admire these people. Read Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament. It talks about all these people and their grand faith and the things that they did do. And yeah, we should have faith like Esther. We should take big big risks and have the courage of Esther. No doubt. But here's the thing that you have to understand in this kind of conversation. We are not to make the connection that those who were the greatest in the kingdom of God, in in Jesus's, you know, his economy, his world of, of living, of being human within the kingdom of God, who is the greatest? This is a question. We cannot draw the line that those who did great things in his name are the greatest. That's the American version that we would assume, well, yeah, David must be up there like in his right hand. He did amazing things. The rest must be right in his right hand too. Like, no, let's back up. Let's let Jesus define greatness because those are wonderful stories. Now, I hope I have the courage of Esther, no doubt, but let's let Jesus define what greatness is before we just baptize the American version and I throw it out to you guys and you leave here wanting to be like Esther, but you'll fail, Right? And you'll be like, I, actually, I can't do what she did. Or maybe, uh, you know, once I did, but I'll fail 10 more times. And you'll start feeling empty. Let's let Jesus define what greatness is. Here's what he does. In his, un, in his usual style, he goes in a very unexpected direction. Verse 2. He called a little child and had him stand, uh, had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like children... You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So just picture the story here. Here's Jesus. And as the disciples are asking these questions, there's like a group of children playing hopscotch. Probably wasn't a thing in Jesus' day, but, you know, they're playing some game. All right, they're over there. They're the noise of children just over there. Uh, maybe Jesus knows their name because he's known for spending time with children. 
But they're, you know, dancing around, playing over here, and the disciples are like, who's the greatest, Jesus? Come on, let, let us know. And if you look at, you know, uh, the, the subject of who is the greatest is, was themselves. Like, they were, they were wanting to know how they can be the greatest. That was, that was their real question. And so as they're asking this, Jesus looks over, and he, you know, asks one of the kids to come over here. And you can just imagine he gets the kid and probably puts him right in front of him, the kid's short, hands on his shoulders. The disciples are forced to kind of probably look at this kid as Jesus has his hands on his shoulders. I'm taking some creative liberties, but it's probably what happened. I don't know. And as the kid is in front of him, he says, I want you to, to change and transform on the inside. Change. I want you to become like this little guy or this little girl. It was actually a gender neutral phrase. It says him and here, but it could have been a girl. And he says, become like this child. That's the goal in my kingdom. This is the ideal in my kingdom, is this child. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest. And if you can't humble yourself like this child, you won't even be able to enter the kingdom, says Jesus. Now, I don't think Jesus really wants us to go down the the long journey of trying to describe the characteristics of a child. Some of that certainly is there, okay, for sure. But rather for the disciples in their world, their version of, you know, Rocky going the distance in the Roman world, okay, that the myth of the Roman world was, you know, maybe through military conquest or you know, knowing the right person or climbing the social ladder of honor and respect to take on some title next to a very important person, become that noble person themselves. That was the greatness in the ancient Roman culture, and children had nothing to do with that. There was no place in the Roman Empire for children with that, you know, Roman definition of greatness in mind. Um, There was no value for children, especially even for female children in the Roman times. Nobody wanted a female, right? It was mostly the men. And so it was known that families would have a female child and actually take it outside in the outskirts and abandon it on the ground for nature is the ancient form of abortion in some ways because they didn't want the females. There was no value for female children. And this is normal in Roman sight. There's even some stories of people trying to take children away from Jesus sometimes thinking he's above talking to those kids. Jesus is directly challenging his, his culture of the day by saying the ideal is not that great Roman military commander that won that amazing war. Okay, the ideal is not David who did those amazing, also amazing military things and conquered Goliath and all these kind of stories. Like, he didn't point to those people. He grabbed the child, said this is the ideal here. And it wasn't so much the humility of children. I I did a lot of work trying to understand why. Like, what was he really trying to say here? It wasn't so much the humility of children, although certainly that had something to do with it. It was the status of children, because that was the real question, right? In this Roman world, the greatness was status. And he was like, be like a child here because child were, were, they were nobodies in Rome. This is really the question he's kind of indirectly asking. Are you willing, indirectly asks Jesus, to become a nobody in the eyes of your culture, but in doing so, find greatness in the kingdom of God? That's what he's saying. And I want to define, and it, it, let's, let's look at how Jesus defined it, right? What, what did he say? How to be like a child? To be humble. To be humble. The core of greatness in the kingdom of God is not status, it's not title, it's not achievements, it is humility. 
Humility then becomes the real answer. And children and their status within the Roman Empire, that was the best representation of humility. Jesus tells us that for human beings, there is a necessary transformation that is needed within us to become humble like children because the very nature of our fallen state is that of the opposite. We can go back to Genesis chapter 3 and look at Adam and Eve and that the very first sin that the Bible records, okay, I was going to read through this, but I'm not going to read through it. The, The very first sin that the Bible records is them taking this forbidden fruit. It wasn't the fruit that was the action of eating the fruit that was sinful, that the sin began when God declared everything good and said, this isn't for you, this is not good. And then when Eve was tempted, she saw the fruit and she said, I think it's good. She made a declaration that only belonged to God. She was trying to decide what was good and what was wrong for herself, what was right in their own eyes. In other words, she was trying to take the place of God of her own life. And Adam was there and let the whole thing happen. That's pride, friends. Pride to think that we can make decisions that belong only to God. Pride that says we're in full, complete control of our own life, right? And if that's the case, well, yeah, it becomes a more survival of the fittest kind of thing, right? How can I become greater? How can I have more value? Well, I got to do this and do this and do this, and this is the eyes of the world. And Jesus flips all this upside down, and he says, when you see the humble nature of a child, of childhood is the idea of climbing that corporate ladder in the kingdom, so-called, right? Um, it's always been humility in God's kingdom, There's actually a proverb in 22 that's very insightful because it says this. It says, true life, like I want want to capitalize the L there. If you want to discover the fullness of life, like true life in Christ, it begins realizing that life is not about you. Like you will discover life once you realize that it's not about your life. That when, when you see your life is not about your life, you'll find life. Listen to this. In Proverbs 22, 4, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. You discover life when you discover it's not about you, but about God and about loving others. So let's just back up and pretend like we're in a job interview we're trying to get into the kingdom of heaven, but it's a job interview. This is it's maybe kind of silly, but I think it points the picture well, right? If you're in a job interview, okay, you're trying to get to the kingdom of Jesus, and, and you're going to some mid-level management job, okay? And any kind of normal job interview, you may say, you know, I, I would like to know how, here's my position I'm getting, but how can I climb in this company, right? How can I climb up? What, what, what are some characteristics that you're looking for that would say, yeah, that would get you a promotion to be, you know, even greater in this company or in this kingdom? Jesus, tell me what that would be. Jesus would probably say something like this, just to mess with you. Well, consider just helping other people do tasks that maybe they don't want to do, and maybe, just maybe, you'll be promoted to be an intern. And if you're lucky, an unpaid one, you'd be like, Okay, that's a funny joke. Like, seriously, what do I have to do? That's, so, he, that's what he's basically doing to these disciples here, right? He, he's picking out the lowest in their society, and he's like, that's the ideal, friends. The bottom. The bottom is the ideal. Not the top. The bottom is the ideal, 
okay? It's all upside down. This is why I love Jesus and his teaching style. Everything's upside down, right? But that's how it is. Because in our culture, pride can get you to the top, right? Imagine being a humble politician in 2022. It wouldn't get you anywhere, not even for a minute. How do we think about the process of climbing down the ladder in God's kingdom? Well, if you want to find true greatness in his kingdom, if you want to climb down the ladder in the kingdom of Jesus, you realize to begin with that the very question of who the greatest is in the kingdom is the wrong question, <laughs> right? That's, that's, that's the key indicator that you don't get it if you're concerned about who's the greatest. Okay, that's the first indication. You're missing it, okay? I would argue that those who are truly great in the kingdom of Jesus, they would not be aware that they are. They wouldn't have knowledge that they're the greatest in the kingdom. And that's why it feels weird to preach a sermon like this about humility, because, you know, to, to tell someone to be humble feels like a, a command to achieve humility um, and perhaps try to get to a place where you can say, now I'm humble. It just doesn't sound right, right? It just doesn't sound how, how you think it, that should sound, right? Um, there's a great quote that kind of walks us through this in C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. He describes humility in a genius way he does it. I might have it on the slide behind me here. He said this, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, that he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you had to say to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And the biggest step too, at least, nothing whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited. <laughs> See how that works there? On the back end of our sermon today, the path to deep, uh, uh, if you want to call it spiritual greatness, if you will, and transformation takes place when we first realize, yes, that we are a proud people. We heard that earlier in Angel's testimony, right? That's like one of the early steps in our Christian walk is to realize, I can't, like, who am I, actually? I can't do this on my own. Secondly, after you have such awareness, the goal is to practice not thinking about yourself. When Jesus summed up all the Bible, he summed it up in two simple ways. We talk about this often here. It's in our mission statement as a church. It is loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. If you want new life this morning, like a, a complete refresher on life and the joys that can be provided to you, as the Proverbs stated, humility is a pathway to finding the very life of his kingdom. 
You must learn to direct all of your love towards God and let that spill out on those around you. And in fact, when you love your neighbor, you should consider your love and care for them equal to how you love and care for yourself. Because within the life of God's kingdom, you are removed from the equation. And God and others become who you live for. And slowly and slowly you will find healing in your life. You will find rest for your souls. You will find restoration within. Because out of the the, the void that's left, when you remove yourself out of your own equation, you say, God, fill that part of me with your spirit. Like, fill me where I used to fill myself. Then you will begin to experience life in the fullness that Scripture speaks about. That's the life of God's kingdom. That is where we begin to be truly transformed. The burden of always thinking about yourself, of comparing yourself to those around you, the burden of always trying to be something more than you are. I, was, I made myself like a, to be like an idiot not that long ago, which isn't hard for me to do, but I did it recently. Looking back, it's, whatever, I'll tell the story because it's kind of funny. I was talking to somebody, this is how, I was out in the conference in Arizona, and, um, and the conversation came from about reading. You know, I, I'm a huge reader, I'm a nerd, I get it, but you know, the conversation, like, what books are you reading recently? So, I, you know, he was sharing the books. This is another pastor. I was just getting to know him. And, you know, in my pride, when you first get to know somebody, there's this instinct to want to, like, size that person up and, you know, make sure that you can somehow be, like, a little bit on top to, just so they walk away with a good impression of you. Come on, guys. You know what I'm talking about. You do this stuff. You know what I'm talking about. And so we're talking about reading, and yeah, I don't forgot what he said he read because I wasn't listening. I was just waiting for my turn. You know this? You guys know what I'm talking about? About eight months before, I read a really challenging book, right? It was Dostoevsky, the Brothers Karamazov, 19th century uh, Russian literature, okay? Big, thick book, hard to read. I got through it. This is eight months before. I've also read like dozens of other books before then, okay? One of them being at least a thousand times, a little book about a baby excavator tractor who was planting a baby, you know, for my two-year-old, planting a baby tree, and he, he was happy that he could do work next to his big mama tractor, and, you know, I read this book a thousand times, okay? Winnie the Pooh, I read that a thousand times to my kids, okay? But guess what book I shared when it came to my turn about what we read? It wasn't Winnie the Pooh, friends, uh, recently I read uh, Dostoevsky, uh, Brothers Karamazov, um, yeah, because I wanted to be impressed with me. And then, you know, I actually said I love 19th century Russian literature. And I remember actually saying that phrase, I was like, that really just say that. I'm the most pretentious person alive. I can't believe, I just wanted to get those words, and, you know. But that's what happens. If I think greatness is sizing myself up and making sure that person leaves a good impression, I mean, well, I did my work because they said, oh, wow, you read those books? What would Jesus say? Hey, you got your reward. Good job, friend. You got your reward. Okay? We know how this works. I bet if we paid attention to ourselves in conversations as we start closing here with a much better story that should guide us here, if we pay attention to ourselves in conversations, we just may realize that we talk a lot more about ourselves than we would like to admit. 
Well, let's talk about this, this, uh, uh, the, the ideal story that should guide us on the back end of our sermon this morning. What story should guide us to understand what is greatness in the kingdom? It's a famous passage. You've looked at it many times coming out of Philippians what is this heavenly myth, if you will, of greatness that should guide us? Right? When I read this, I want you to understand something. Like This story I'm about to read should make our hearts beat fast. It should fill up our imagination. We should get sweaty palms just like daydreaming. Like, I, I want to live this. Like I want to live in this story. I want this story that I'm about to read to guide me every single day with my family, with my coworkers, with all of my human interactions. I want this story to be what consumes me and what guides me. So friends, impress Print this on your mind. Memorize this and let it just fill your heart and guide you each and every day because this should be the, the myth, not the rocky story, okay? This is a far greater story. Philippians 2, 1 through 11, it says this, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Who is our hero, friends? It is Christ. Have this in mind among yourselves which is yours, let this can be yours, in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has highly exalted on him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That, my friends, is kingdom greatness. And that is a story that should drive us. Some of you walked into this room today depressed, some of you are sad. Some of you are severely emotionally distraught. And chances are it is because you had made your own personal happiness an idol, as if that is what you're chasing after, or some achievement that if you only did that, you could become great. You have made the, your own longings and desires of your own heart to become the goal and even your identity in life. And you were not finding fulfillment. If I stick with this Rocky story, right? It's almost like, you know, if unlike Rocky, you say you didn't go the distance and you, fought, you walked in this morning and you're on your face, right? And you're like your father Adam or like your mother Eve who desired to be God of their own life and you were looking for meaning and greatness in your own abilities. And in doing so, I promise you, you will always fall short. You will never achieve enough to find fulfillment. It is only when you realize life isn't about you and that inner transformation occurs, that the good news of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, and that passage we just read, until he becomes the guiding force of your life and you embrace the kind of life he lived and you forget about yourself, 
Only then you will discover life itself. Because the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. We're about to take communion. I'm gonna call Dino to come up. Microphone's right here, Dino. And I'm just gonna say a prayer as we transition to our time of communion. Jesus, I pray, especially for those people in this room that are seated that are, can identify with just feeling empty from swinging in life and just feeling like they're striking out constantly and trying to find fulfillment and, and some kind of greatness to cling to to give themselves an identity trying to find happiness as if that will appease them, the longing in their hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray for conviction this morning, Lord, for, for those in this room to turn from that, Lord, and to fill that void with you and not themselves. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the example of humility, and even as Paul says, it, it can be ours through the help of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we ask for your help this morning. We pray this in your name, Jesus, amen. Yeah. 
We thank you, Jesus, for, for what you've done for your glory and for the salvation of those who call upon your name. Amen.